Yeah, I spoke on uh, John 9. I know there's this story, it's, in, it's on the podcast probably, where um, Jesus heals the, the blind man. Um, and there's this interaction um, that he had with this, this blind guy. Um, and the guts, of that, the guts of that message was this, that, uh, that it's important to follow the voice of God even when you don't know what he's doing. Um, and even if you feel offended, or even if you feel let down by God, even in that moment. You know, I'm not preaching the message again, but the blind man's interaction with Jesus, he heard people talking about him, then the next thing he hears is like some spit on the ground, and then he feels stuff rubbed on his face, and then he had this, this command, the first time Jesus spoke to him, like, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Um, and then the next sentence says he got up and he went and he, he washed. Even in a space where I would imagine he felt offended, or I imagine he felt like, you know, just here's another, here's another offense being added to the list. But, uh, but somehow there was the faith um, to respond to what Jesus said. And the sentence after, so it says, Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And uh, then it says, he went and he was healed. And the thrust in our message is don't live, don't live in the space between those two sentences. I lived there for a while where I felt offended by God, felt let down by God, things that happened in my life. Uh, but when I followed his voice to go away, to go and do what he told me to do, <laughs> um, I, entered into, I entered into healing. Um, and it's just to echo to us, if you're ever in that space, if you find yourself in that space again, if you're living in that space right now, don't live in that full stop, don't live in the, the space between the offense and the obedience that, that could bring you, bring you to healing. So if you find yourself in a season of doubt or confusion or even not knowing what Jesus is, who Jesus is, or if you feel let down, uh, to listen out for the voice of God and, and do, do what he says. So that was, that was the encouragement last time, right? So we read through that, that passage. Um, but as I was preparing for that, for that message, I read on the rest of the chapter. The big miracle bit, right, happens in like eight verses at the, at the beginning, this whole story of his healing. And the rest of the chapter is all about what happened after, after he was healed. And follows the story of this blind man as he goes back to his town and people believing him and not believing him and persecuting him. And, and I was like, it's fascinating. The response was fascinating. And I want to spend a bit of time there uh, this morning um, to speak about kind of what to, what to expect when you, when you share your story. You know, all the worship songs that were picked this morning, they're, all, they're very like testimonial. They're like, this is what Jesus has done. I praise the name of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? This is the story. Like telling that, telling that kind of story. And it's kind of, I don't know, is there, is there ever a disconnect for you? There, there has been for me in my life, right? If I just speak about me where I can sing them songs in this space, but then that language doesn't always translate to my conversations with my family or my conversations with my work colleagues or whatever. You know, it's like a language we use in here. And then, and then outside of here, maybe our stories don't always make it out to, uh, to other people. Um, last time I spoke on this, I shared some of, of my story and uh, I know, I know just from walking with some of you guys, I know you guys at different levels, but just, just things every bit is miraculous in your lives, yeah? If we, to assess them and think through the things that the Lord has done. He's given you something, he's done something in your life that other people need, need to hear about. And we can, we can like, I don't know, we can say, well maybe I wasn't like blind, I now received my sight, but in the things that matter, in the day-to-day things that people struggle with, you've struggled with. And you've encountered the Lord in them and he's walked through them with you. Um, the things that he's kept you through, the trials that he's walked through with you, the healing that he's brought, the meaning that you've found, the peace that you've had in the midst of mad circumstances, the, 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 the grace to keep on, keep on going. There's so much wrapped up in, in who you are in God's church. Genuinely, so much, so much wrapped up there that we can't, we can't keep it to ourselves, right? Um, 
But I'm aware that even if I had said, when I said this might be about sharing your story, immediately someone would sort of just switch off, right? Like, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I'm, like, like, you know, we talk about maybe sharing your testimony, we build it up like this big thing, and we have to have something to, to share. I remember the first time I ever shared my testimony, right, in that kind of mode. Um, I, made the, I was in, like, I don't know what age I was, 17 or something, and uh, I was in a youth cafe in Dolphins Barn before I started out in Rialto. And I made the mistake of holding a cup of tea while I was uh, sharing the story and scholar the hand off and he said, because my hand is gone like this. As I'm like, and I'm looking at the tea and still trying to say the words I've rehearsed to say, like, and my heart is beating super fast. And, and, uh, and it wasn't some big moment then, do you know what I mean? Like there was revival broke out in the flats because of that moment or anything. But um, there was a getting over the fear of speaking out loud. And what, do you know what else there was? Was a process in, in coming up to it of thinking about what is, what is it that God has done in my life? What is it that I can give him glory for? What is it was to tell people the story of God via the story of my life? Where did they, where did they intersect? And there's those intersections all, all over the place. Um, people may not listen, but, uh, but we have the opportunity uh, to give them an opportunity to be able to hear, at least to proclaim who he is. So let's look at that. Let's look at this story. We pick it up at uh, verse, uh, verse 8. So the, the miracle has happened. The guys received the healing. Um, and we see what happened. Uh, it says, the neighbours, in verse 8, the neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. So first of all, he just he just he just said what happened, yeah. He just he just spoke it out as fact because that was his experience. Um, you know, sometimes people don't know what to do what to do with you when you become a Christian. They don't have a box to put that into. So there's there's confusion, right? So these guys are even doubting, even they knew him. No, this can't be the same fellow because something is different about him. We don't have a way to explain that. And then your man's explanation doesn't even seem to make sense, right? How did you come like somebody told me to go and wash and put one of my eyes and told me to wash? <coughs> And uh, it's like the irrationality of it, you know what I mean? It's not like the, I don't know, I went on this program and it helped, like, or, or something that people could take a hold of and, and make sense of. Like, the only explanation is, is a godly one. And that, I mean, that happens, that happens in our lives. Sometimes it's more visible than others. You guys know, I always, like, think of the example of John. You know, John Riley was here, he's in the church in the city now because he moved towards that way, but... We probably got to know John as like uh, oh, a bit of a Ned Kelly on him, like me, right? Like, 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 like happy, you know, and came to know the Lord, praising the Lord in this space. But he came, he came out at Tiglin, and um, and the lads who were in there with him would tell the story. John was John was on the streets for like 20 years, sleeping on Grafton Street. We all probably walked past him at some point. Do you know what I mean? Sleeping rough in a doorway there. And Tom Barrett, who used to come here, went to share the gospel with him, and eventually got him into to Tiglin. But the lads would tell a story about John. He went into Tiglin and he weighed eight stone. Imagine John weighing eight stone. Um, beard down to here. Um, and they said they were afraid. He was sleeping in a room. They were afraid to walk past his room and look in in case they found him dead. He was in that much of a, a state. And, uh, and then you see this guy. Do you know what I mean? Transformed. One of the great memories I have that pops up, you know, in your Google photos, is like of a morning here where I walked down and baptized John in the sea, you know? And just the, the joy of it, a life, a life transformed and remains transformed, right? And so we can point to something physical like that. Um, but that physical change that you would see in someone like John, that's, only, that's like a visible representation of what's happened in all of our hearts, yeah? 
Because outside of God, we sang about it this morning, outside of him, our, our hearts are, are broken, our hearts are in peace, our hearts are like, trying to cling to all sorts of stuff. There's hopelessness in life. And, uh, and God intervenes and comes and dwells in us by his spirit and saves us and gives us a destiny and eternity and a future and makes us a new creation and transforms us from the inside out and walks with us day after day. And those things, right, if that's true, right, those things that you would see visibly represented in someone like John's life, it's true of all of us at a heart level. This is what, this is what God has done. He's every bit as great. So the stories are there. When we become a Christian, things change. The old is gone and the new has come. And people will see a difference in you. The work of God, if we're going to go along with it, guarantees that people at some point, they're going to see something different in you. And we have the opportunity then to give glory to God. And it's just in simple ways. See Patrice saying, like when, you know, another scenario could have happened where it's this, the, that, that, that woman sees Patrice babbling to herself at the thing and Patrice sounds like, what are you babbling? She's like, ah, yeah, and just laughs it off. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't say anything. But there's an opportunity to say, no, I was praying for you. Didn't launch into a big sermon, didn't launch into a big testimony. Just like a point of just connection. Here's, what, here's what's happening right now. I'm just going to tell you what's happening. And then that leads to a woman asking you to pray a couple of weeks later. Like, and it's those, those simple things. I think we need to, um, or we should, learn to give, just to give God the glory wherever he, whenever he deserves it. Which is all the time, right? But... Another example is like we run trips to Lesotho and uh, over the last couple of years we've run trips with like guys who aren't like Christians. It was from Patrice's school and various places. And so they'll usually gather in our house and they run up to the trip getting to know each other and that. And they'll usually like ask the story of how did you end up here? How did this thing happen? And uh, I found myself saying, guys, I can't. So I know you guys, maybe you don't believe in God. I'm not trying to convince you to believe in him. But I can't tell the story of this thing without talking about God. So you're going to need to get used to that. That language. You're either going to need to believe in a million coincidences or believe in one God, right? Because this thing, this thing couldn't have happened without him. Um, and then, and, and just leave it at that. Do you know what I mean? And then the next time, if there's something else to share, do you get what I'm saying? Is that there's just these opportunities we have day after day to do we, do we recognise? We sang that His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That whenever there's any opportunity, there's a there's a space that we can talk about God unashamedly. So there's a beautiful way that this guy shares his story. He just said what had happened. And just like, and you can share your story just like that, guys. Like, so, you know what I mean? How's, how, how you get, somebody knows that your boss has been at you and they ask you, and you've been praying about it and the Lord's giving you peace. And they ask you, how are you doing? Instead of just saying, oh, I'm grand saying, man, I prayed about it and I feel I have some peace. Do you know what I mean? And it can be that, like simple. That's the testimony, yeah? That's the that's the, you don't have to have a sermon written about it. You don't have to have pressure. But it's being unashamed in just giving glory to God where he, where he deserves it. He's like kind of micro-testimonies. You know, my favourite my favorite words on, on evangelism is like 1 Peter 3, 3.15. He says this first, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, right? Meaning in your hearts recognise that Jesus is Lord. Recognise the work that's going on, right? And then the next thing says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Isn't that beautiful? Assuming somebody is going to ask you at some point to give a reason for the hope that you have, give a reason, and then just be prepared to give them the answer. Be bold enough to say, to speak about Jesus, whether it's a sentence, and do it with gentleness and respect, not do it with forcefulness or disrespect or speaking down to people or any way that we might have seen evangelism done in terms of shouting at people. Um, but as people come and ask you, why, why do you have hope in that way? Why do you interact in that way? Why do you think that way? Why are you, why are you different? That we're able to give an answer. 
Um, so yeah, maybe when they ask you, maybe we don't do things justice sometimes, right? Because in the way we're set up, so we sing these songs together, right? And then someone like me gets up and speaks for a half an hour. Do you know what I mean? Hopefully something that's good. Believe it or not, I put work into these things, right? So hopefully it's, it's like in some way connects, right? But, um, but we can then maybe, maybe just the repetitive nature of that can think, well, this is what Christian speech looks like, is the guy who stands up or the woman who stands up and, and preaches. And then we can disqualify ourselves because I'm not that person. So, so maybe I just need to get people to church and then somebody else can tell them, yeah? But what if, what if we really are the people of God filled with his Holy Spirit who are maybe ready to give an account? What if God is really doing something daily, his mercies are new every morning, and you don't have to be even a day short of having something new to tell people about if they ask you, the stuff that's, that's shaping you? What if it isn't just about getting people into this building to hear a message that someone's prepared, but the people who are watching the message of your life in your workplace and your school and everywhere having the opportunity to know the reason for that hope when they, when they ask you because we're, we're activated. Um, so kind of free you from that, from thinking that you need more than the sentence. The guy has asked about his story, that's what happened, he just tells them what he knows. Do you know what I mean? He just tells them. Not, doesn't, doesn't add on theology, doesn't add on whatever, and just say, say what you know. I always use that example as well, right? So the guy who led Noel to the Lord, or who brought him along to that, to that outreach where he got saved, came back into the, fl- the flats, just knowing, like, he's like, I've been saved. Do you know what I mean? And like, like probably like, what do you mean, I've been saved? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just like, I've been saved, something has happened, someone told me about Jesus, like I had this encounter, like, but, like, but passed it on. Do you know what I mean? Like, like passed it on. Absolutely didn't have any theology to add to it. Didn't have anything, just had a moment of an encounter and was able to just share. And those encounters, guys, can be daily. Those encounters, you don't have to look to even 20 years ago and look how I speak about something that happened at that point. It's like we're living in relationship with God. It's fresh and it's real. And God is continually like saving and working out like who we are and who he wants us to be in our lives. That there's constantly that, that, um, that opportunity. I remember as well, all the stories, but I remember uh, years back. So Patrice, like I think Patrice is a great example because she like works in a, a school or she works around people. But years back, I remember I was in New York and Patrice sent me this message of a girl who like was just her friend at work. And her friend texted her like it was like this big soppy message, wasn't it? I don't know. It was like her friend texted her like don't know how I would have got through the past years kind of without you, like without like just the input that you've had and the way that you've listened or the advice you've given or whatever. And Patrice, I was sitting with my friend Mike from Nashville, and, uh, and uh, Patrice texted me this message saying, I don't know, what do I write back to this? Do you know what do you do? Thumbs up. Like, <laughs> that's what I write back to. Right? <laughs> and uh, how do I respond to this? And, uh, and, uh, and then I asked Mike, I was like, well, you're like, kind of half showing off, like, here's how great my wife is. Do you know what I mean? People are like, no, but I asked him, like, what do, you, what do you respond to something like this? And his insight, man, in that moment, like, he was like, here's what I would write back if I was Patrice. That I would write back something like, those things that you see in me are just aspects of who Jesus is. Eventually I might let you down, but he, but he absolutely won't. Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh man, that's genius. I sent it back to Patrice and took credit for it, never given one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that's the, it's the truth, right? In the opportunity, you could just brush it away in that moment. Somebody has seen a difference, recognize something that's in you. You could just write back, oh, no problem. Do you know what I mean? Or it's my pleasure. Or you've been that for me. Or, you know, all those things that we would... Like, what else would you be doing? All those kind of things that you might just say. But to explicitly recognize, well, it's on this person because of what Jesus has done. And you're just seeing Jesus in me. And you can know him to a greater extent. Even when I let you down, 
He's going to be, he's going to remain perfect and remain who you are. And so, I just think, I, my prayer is that we would be switched on. You know what I mean? Um, that in work, people notice, why aren't you joining in the, the bitching? Or why aren't you joining in the giving out about this person? They would be able to turn around and say, I don't know, depends on your testimony, depends on your argument. You might turn around and say, look, I'm a person who's been forgiven much. I'm not in a place to judge. God has been so gracious to me. Like, done. Like, just testimony given. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It would, like the day after the Christmas party when everyone's in there with the fear, like trying to remember, what did we do? What did we do last night? And, uh, but you've managed to, like, to be there but not, be, but not get locked with everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Someone's like, why'd you, oh, why'd you not drink? You're pregnant or something? You know, like that's kind of the reasons people look for. To be able to unashamedly, even if it sounds awkward, say, I don't know, I have a joy in Jesus. That means I don't need to find it. I need to find my happiness at the end of a bottle so I can be in that space and have fun without going, without going too far. It's just these opportunities we're faced with, you know what I mean, as we, as we live, live our lives, to revere Christ as Lord, recognising him, and then be ready to give an account when we're asked, recognise those spaces. So anyway, back to the story, verse 12, and they're going, they say to, to, to him, well, where is he? And he says, I don't know. Remember, the man hasn't even met Jesus yet. He hasn't even seen him yet. His eyes were opened when he went to Siloam and Jesus was off somewhere else, right? And uh, so he's like, I don't know. I don't know where he is. Um, and then they bring the Pharisees to him, verse 13, the man who had formerly been blind. And verse 14, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked them how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. So the second time he had to tell the story. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Isn't it mad straight away, right, how religion gets in the way of a miracle? People who, like, there's a guy who was blind who can now see, right? A guy who everyone knows, like, can now, like, was blind from birth. A man, fully grown man, can now see. And he goes to the religious guys, the guys who are meant to represent God to the people. And we went to live and, and like he's like, oh, this can't, he must be evil because he did it on a Saturday. Just like the madness of it, right? The madness of, of, of religion getting in the way. We'll see, we'll see by the end of the story that these guys, there's a metaphor going on here. There's the physical healing and, and blindness being restored. But Jesus is telling a bigger picture by the end. We re- realize he's speaking about spiritual blindness. Yeah, it's like a story within a story. That these guys are like willfully blind. Despite all the evidence, they're willfully like deciding they don't want to see what God has, uh, is trying to reveal. Instead of changing their view based on what's being revealed, they double down. Um, and the lesson, the lesson for us guys, and again it's a pressure taken off us, is that you're not responsible for people's response to your story. Yeah? Um, the things of God are divisive. It says there was division among them in verse 16. And there be people who dismiss or ignore or reject what's staring them in the face because the challenge is what they've based their lives on. We see it because the Pharisees can't get their head around the idea of them doing this on a Sabbath. It's like that becomes these, these blinkers over their eyes, the thing they can't see past them. As you begin to speak to people about Jesus, you'll become aware of the things that blind people. The word says that the, uh, the, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who's the image of God. That there's just blinkers people put, or the enemy puts over their eyes. People blinded with other pursuits. People blinded with other things they base their lives upon. And if this stuff about Jesus is true, then all that stuff crumbles. And so people protect that stuff. Um, 
It might not be Old Testament law or Sabbath rights. That example mightn't be particularly relevant to us. But the enemy still blinds people. Like everyone, everyone lives at some point, at some way, by a set of truths, some way that they understand the world. Maybe materialism, like there's, there's nothing else, there's nothing that exists outside the world, like, like other than the physical things we can see and what science can explain. And they don't have space then for the introduction of the miraculous or for the space of, of faith. It's just another way that the enemy has blinded people's eyes. And so your testimony, you might speak your testimony or speak your truth out or whatever, and they'll explain it away. Ah, no, that's just... God didn't do that, you actually did that. Do you know what I mean? Or this, this just happened and now you're seeing it through this lens or, or whatever. The people will, even confronted with the most like evidence, like a blind man who can now see, will try and explain it away or call it something that, that it isn't. Um, those deep-rooted, we, we usually use the language when we speak about it, like idols of the heart, the, the things that we look to for significance, identity, security at the heart, at the root of it. People might be pursuing happiness, or they might be pursuing power, or they might have based their lives on whatever, the noble truths of Buddhism or something. And you know, it's like they become grounded in those things. And so, speaking something else is like an attack against the foundation of that. Now, sometimes, you'll, we'll hit a point where the Lord has been already attacking those foundations, and your blow is the blow that knocks the foundations over, and there's openness. Other times, it'll be like just a moment where there's a bounce, maybe it's the seed. That's old and isn't and isn't doesn't doesn't grow. Maybe it's the first hammer blow, but that adds to the hundredth hammer blow. Do you know what I mean? Which hammer blow eventually knocks down the wall? They all they've all contributed. Um, but don't expect is what I'm trying to say. Don't feel pressure like oh, I'm a failure because I shared my testimony and that person didn't fall to their knees and receive Christ or whatever. You know, like our responsibility is just to be a witness to what it is that God has has said. So the Pharisees, right, confronted with this. They should have reframed what they believed about Sabbath in light of what they've seen to be true about Jesus. Instead, they reframe what, they, what could be true about Jesus because of what they believe about, about Sabbath. Jesus is always going to be a divisive character. It's why it's easier. It's way easier to talk about God even in general than to use the word Jesus. Yeah? Even that little example I said about the Christmas party, if you, if you said something like, well, my faith means that I'm, I find happiness, right? You know, people might be like, oh, okay. If you said, I have a relationship with Jesus, that means I have a joy that I don't have to pursue elsewhere. Now you're a weirdo, right? <laughs> now you're, there's a, there's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between, because God can be abstract and like, like the other gods that people make up and just, you know, you're picking a bit of consumerism, a bit of materialism, a bit of Buddhism, a bit of like mindfulness, a bit of all this, this conglomerate that people make. But Jesus is a challenge to those things. He doesn't share space with those things because he loves people. Because he's like, you won't fit into a box along with your mindfulness and your Buddhism and your whatever else. Do you know what I mean? He's, uh, he makes that command, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And then be ready to give an account. It's like recognizing who he is. Um, yeah, so let's continue to the story. Right, verse 17, where we, so they said again to the blind man, so this is her time to ask him, um, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he responds back, he is a prophet, right? Note that, we'll come back to that. Verse 18, the Jews didn't believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how we now see his, we, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Verse 22 says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, 
for the Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ he must be put out of the synagogue therefore his parents said that he's of age ask him so they seem determined to discredit him calling in his parents and his parents though obviously thrilled that this guy has been has been healed they're scared to say what they know to be true because they're scared of of people's response key line there I think is because they'd already the Pharisees had already made up their mind against Jesus so they were going to take whatever evidence they had and twist it against they decided they were going to kick out anybody who spoke about Jesus because I don't know could we parallel that to our society could you say people have already maybe made their minds up about Jesus is that why the name of Jesus is so is so divisive why it's okay to talk about God but not about Jesus and do we hold back from using the name of Jesus because we're afraid of the same kind of rejection uh, if I said it around the water cooler in work or if I spoke about my relationship with Jesus the way that we can speak about it in the church if I spoke about that outside would I face rejection because somehow I know what the world already thinks of him and maybe it's hard for me to be identified with him the guy just shows this bravery I think this is the key right like he shows this bravery in responding he just keeps going but it's bravery that flows from immense gratitude that's what as I waited on the Lord that's what I think the key is it's not like guilting you into bravery or it's not like you should be doing this or adding religion to you it's bravery to speak about God that flows from immense gratitude the guy's just been healed imagine put yourself in a space right you can see and these people are trying to get him to like say something different and he's like I can't I can't say anything I can't say anything different and I think, I think the key is for us to realise or us to get to the space of immense gratitude. Like through the things we know how to do, being in the Word, being in fellowship, being in worship, the things that frame our heart to remember who God is, being around the Lord's table, which we're going to do at the end. You know, do this in remembrance of me. We're quick to forget. But when we're in the space, in the space of gratitude, then when, when somebody asks, we're more likely to give the response, even if we're afraid of being rejected. I just say it out loud, right? I can't speak it out. It's been the case in my life, right? Fear of rejection is probably the number one thing that stopped me from sharing my story. When somebody asks to just shrug something off or smile or make some platitude, I'll pray for you. When I know there's a, there's a drawing to speak in generalizations rather than to speak in the specifics of what God has done. Um, yeah, Jesus is divisive. Um, we need to remind ourselves of what he's, what he's done to work that muscle of telling your story. Um, verse 24, it goes on and says, uh, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. It's like third or fourth time he's had to give the story. And here's what the extra pressure they say to him. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Right? Like just the, like even the leverage of that, right? Give God like the pressure of it in the Jewish society. The Pharisees speaking to you. I'm going to give you a chance to give glory to God. It's the opposite of what's actually happening. But the words they use and like twist and trying to like change his story. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner like they've already made up their minds about Jesus effectively saying if you keep saying what you're saying you're going to get you're, we're going to like say the same about about you um, give glory we know there's a he's a sinner and he answered this he's like look whatever whether he's a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind and now I see right. just the story again say what you want about God yeah like people will throw all sorts of stuff at you God you think God did this well what about all the millions of people starving you think God did this well what about that natural disaster you think God did this well what about what happened in my life I don't know that's God what I do know I was blind and now I see what I do know is I lost my parents and I couldn't figure out any way forward and had this like crushing like emotional baggage and 
the Lord intervened in my life and healed me in a way, like in a moment, that I can't, can't describe any other way. Right? You do what you want with it theologically, right? but that's, that's my story. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what happened. You, you guys have similar stories. And what I do know is this is the way I was and here's what God did. Don't be intimidated by questions. Don't feel the need to answer every question. Jesus, more often than not, didn't answer the questions he was asked. Didn't feel the pressure to have to prove himself. Don't feel that as you share your story. Just tell your story, what God did. Get rid of the fear. You know, sometimes, again, the setup, the way Christianity can be set up can make us like, there's like an us and them within the church. It's like the people who are gifted to speak and then there's me. You know what I mean? I can't do that. Sometimes I watch like, you know, like John Lennox or one of those apologists on YouTube who are just able to debate atheists and able to like know the ins and outs. And instead of leaving me encouraged, it leaves me kind of discouraged because I'm like, I just can't. I just can't do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just I don't know how to do that. I was in the same situation. They'll just send, they'll just send them the YouTube video or something, right? But, uh, but there's something about the people who know you, the people who are God has placed in your world, just hearing your story in, in facts. Um, they go on, they go on. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Right? And I love this next verse, because it's like fourth time or something he's sharing the story, right? He says this, verse 27, he answers them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Isn't that deadly? That's just like, at one point, he's just like, like I'm convinced he's taking the piss out. Do you know what I mean? Because he knows they don't, they don't want to become his disciples, right? But he's just like, you're going to keep getting me to repeat the same thing. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you the same, the same story. Um, on the same team, right? Just don't get, don't get bogged down in mad conversations. Don't try to convince people who don't want to know. I remember hearing this one time, it's not a scripture, but someone said, to those who are determined to understand you, give your explanation. To those who are determined to misunderstand you, give your silence. Mm-hmm. Learn to know the difference. Learn to recognize the point at which, okay, I've said, I've said what I need to say. Do you know what I mean? If you're determined to say something different, that's on you. You know what I mean? Um, and the wisdom to know that, right? And so, verse 28, after saying that, they're obviously annoyed. Verse 28, they come back with it. says, they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we're, we're disciples of Moses, and we know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answers them, wow, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God will listen to them. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man is not from God, he could do nothing. It's like a boldness that comes. <laughs> Just like, they, like in response to them saying, well, you're his disciple, we have Moses, do you know what I mean? We have like whatever. He's just like, again, I don't know what happened, but surely if I've been healed, it speaks to the truth of who this guy is. He can't be who you're saying he is because this is what he's done for me. Um, you can believe what you want, but this is what God said. Um, in, the middle, in the middle, guys, of even oppression that we might face, in the middle of rejection that we might face, I just encourage you um, to lean on the Lord for the strength to face into that stuff with, with boldness, to face into that stuff. And even if it means rejection, to be like, man, rejection of the world is nothing compared to acceptance that I have from God. To not compromise our story, to not be twisted by religious people, even people within church, like whoever it is, do you know what I mean? That might, that might look to say to you, now change your story, change your story. You guys are a bit too charismatic there. You're giving a bit too much glory to God. You really work that, that, or 
you know, the great big giveaway, it's very easy to take glory for that. There's an old Henny, a great guy who like managed to pull all this stuff together, and no one be the first to say, Oh, glory to God, I didn't know where the money was coming from last week. But God has God has provided, you know what I mean? And to give to give him glory where it's where it's due. I think I think we need to we need to be more vocal. And I think it's in the simple things, right? I'm not saying you have to become an apologist, you have to become a preacher. And the simple things are just responding. There's so many people out there, guys, that are just like confidently incorrect. You know those kind of people who aren't smart enough to know how, how dumb they are? Who just like, just speak stuff out as if it's facts. Just rattle stuff like off as if it's... And every, you'll see in your work, every kind of like babble about like some philosophy or something. You know what I mean? They'll speak it as if it's truth. And meanwhile, the church who have the truth, who have the gospel, we kind of stay silent. And don't, don't offer it out there. People believe in things that are way more off the wall than what, than what we believe and not afraid to just speak it out, you know what I mean? Manifesting stuff from the universe or whatever the, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, whatever mix. I remember doing a podcast one time with this, this group of uh, young people in Bray here, like out of the, the community centre. And uh, I was thinking, going, man, how do I share my faith? How do I speak about Jesus? It's going to maybe sound a bit weird. And share my testimony and just like spoke about it in that way. Then we asked, like, they just asked the other young people in the room, what do you believe? And one fella believed something based on a YouTube video he'd seen about, like, the universe and about how it's expanding and how, like, but, but this God was that combination of that YouTube thing and this thing he saw on TikTok and, and whatever. And I'm like, man, they believe more, they believe weirder stuff than I do, right? But they'll be, like, confident about speaking that out, you know? But Jesus is divisive, yeah? But Jesus nails it down to, to something specific. And I think you can see the enemy that when you speak to Jesus, like it, it troubles me so much. I don't know how long. Like that Jesus is a curse word in our society. Do you know what I mean? That nine times out of ten when I heard his name speak, it's like in, in that way that people speak it. Do you know what I mean? As a, as a curse. Like as a church, well, we could be the people who like, redeem the use of his name. Like of it being beautiful. But every time he's in that guy in San Francisco, he's a Sikh guy who got saved. And just the way he said the name Jesus. He's from Nashville as well, actually. But he just spoke about Jesus. When I would use the word God, he used the word Jesus, right? And his name was I'm God. And it's just like, I'm going to say the name of Jesus the way I'm God says it, because he knew him. He knew not about God, he knew about religion, but he's like, somebody told me about Jesus. And it changed my life. He prayed the, the way it came out of his mouth. And he'd like just talk the way that, it almost sounded jarring because we'd be used to the word Lord there, or the word, you know, something that seems even dispersed, but like that claim of it. I was like, man, could that be, could that be, could your name really be not coming on my lips? Really be, when I sing, what a beautiful name. Not just sing it in this space, but, 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 but have the name of Jesus spoken outside of this space in ways that, that clash with the way it's usually heard. Do you remember? Um, yeah. And here's what, here's what happens to these guys, right? In verse 34, um, they answered, they answered back to Jesus. Or back to the guys, they said, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. They put him out of the synagogue, right? See what's after happening? A couple of verses back, they were saying, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And then when the guy wouldn't back down, they're on to him. You were born in utter sin, right? They have a miracle standing in front of them. Like a guy, the first man ever, whose eyes have been, whose eyes, whose eyes have been open, a walking, talking miracle. And their response, because it's pressing the buttons, is you were born in utter sin. And they throw him, they throw him out of, of the synagogue. Guys, this might happen. Uh, Jesus warned about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's like, blessed are you when people insult you and ridicule you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you for my sake. 
And he says, rejoice and be glad in those times because that's the same way they treated the prophets who came before you. That it's, um, we can't, or we shouldn't, by the grace of God, right? Not just stirring it up or we guilt-tripping it into something, right? But by the grace of God, like, we shouldn't be ashamed of speaking the name of Jesus, of telling our story, even if it means somebody says that you're evil, right? Now, that's what, that's what the world will do. It'll call evil good, it'll call good evil, it'll frame us as whatever way it wants to frame us, completely irrationally, yeah? Not even in a way that you could make sense. You can't see why they might see this way. You can't see why they might see this way in this scenario. And it could be as irrational as that, but are we willing to, are we willing to still make a stand? Are we willing to still speak the truth? of who it is that Jesus is to us. Um, I think we have to be. I think we have to be. Even if we're called mad. I'd love to be able to tell you that sharing your story about Jesus every time will result in people coming to know him. And I believe it will at times, but it might also get you into trouble. Um, and might also have people calling you a wacko or an evil or the opposite of what you are. Um, but that's just the devil in his last phases of the battle thrashing wildly. We believe in a God who redeems everything. That everything that was in darkness will be brought into the light. Yeah? That, 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 that there comes a day where we're vindicated and we're justified. And that day leads into an eternity with heaven. Like these, like these, what we call these light and momentary troubles in light of the eternity that we have with God. By his grace would he, would he help us. So we might get, we might get rejected. We might get, get kicked out, but look what, ha- look what happens after they get cast out, after he gets cast out, after the world, after people have rejected him just for the good thing that's happened and him telling them what's, what's going on. It says, uh, people throw him out, but here's what verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out and hadn't found him. Let's pause there for a second. Jesus hears that he's cast him, he goes and finds him. Like he hears about this story, the word gets back to him, that guy who you hear is getting all hassled, he's the crown of the king. The synagogue, like he goes, goes and finds him. Like he, like he seeks him out. The world might reject you guys, but Jesus comes looking for you in those moments. And if that's the case, which one do you want to choose? Do you know what I mean? I would rather be rejected by the world. It means Jesus comes looking for me. Jesus comes to heal me. Jesus comes to restore. I'd rather have the approval of Jesus by his grace than the approval of the world. I know I can stand here and say that. That'll probably be put to the test tomorrow. When somebody asks me something and I, you know, that need for approval of the world raises its head. And uh, I think gratitude, knowing who he is, like in that, that worshipful response is the key. But look what happens, right? There's this, there's this, don't, you don't have to go back in the slides and I'll just stay where you are, but, but if you remember back at the beginning of the story, they're like, they asked him, what happened to you, right? And he starts by saying this, this man called Jesus did this, right? So this man called Jesus, there's no anything about him, it's just like this man. And then it goes on, he faces some opposition, they eventually ask him, well, what do you think about him? And he says, he's a prophet, right? So he's gone from being a man to being a prophet. And that offends them more because they're like, we yeah, have Moses the prophet or whatever. Um, and then they call him a sinner, right? They call him a sinner and they call Jesus a sinner. But it's like this progressive revelation, even as he has to repeatedly tell the story of going from Jesus being a man to Jesus being a prophet in his sight. And then here's what happens, right? Jesus goes and finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the answer is very answer. Who is he, sir? I don't believe him. He's like, oh, I don't know who the son of man is. And Jesus is like, you have seen him, and he was speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. Jesus being a man faces some opposition. He drives him for a long convinced he's a prophet. He gets kicked out. Eventually Jesus comes to him and recognizes this is the son of man, the Messiah. That's the phrase he's like the guy who's going to come. And then the last line of it is like, Lord, I believe. And he worships him as God. This, this, this pattern of the moon to tell your story in the face of opposition leads to deeper and deeper intimacy 
with Jesus each time you have to rely on him in a different way each time you come to know him in a deeper way and even if you think the world is rejecting the lost and Jesus comes and finds it shows who he is in a deeper in a deeper way to you guys that's, the, that's what the journey of being a Christian looks like that we come to know Jesus in the face of opposition when you share your story expect opposition expect persecution but also expect deeper intimacy with Jesus expect deeper revelation expect deeper walk with him expect to know him more expect to encounter him in deeper ways up to this point he just encountered the guy who spat on his eyes and sent him away the only words he hears now he hears this guy like come to him to to restore him to redeem him and then he finishes this story verse 39 to 41 he said this Jesus says this after this. He says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Again, like the story within the story, Sean. This, this thing of healing this guy, I'm trying to show you a bigger picture of what's going on here. That there was a guy who was blind and couldn't see and there's the guys who claim to see but are truly blind, willfully blind, intentionally blind to what's right in front of their eyes. So this verse 40. Some of the Pharisees in Aram heard these things and said, are we also blind? And I think they're saying that in there. Like, so what? Yeah, we're blind too, are we? Like, kind of thing. And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There's this picture of it. It's like, you would have been better off if you actually were blind, guys. But the fact that you think you see is stopping you from seeing who I really am. The fact that you think you see, your pride is stopping you from really coming and humbly accepting. It's the gospel, yeah? It's like the humbler I am and the prouder I am, not the gooder I am and the badder I am, but the humbler I am and the prouder I am. Those who recognize their, their need. That anybody who recognizes their blind, like Bernard preached about it, you know last week about Isaiah's scroll, good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, it's not just this guy. We see another story of it later when Paul is not about the source and God intentionally makes him blind, then he receives his sight, this picture again of, of thinking you see, having to be humble, becoming spiritually blind, to get in your sight again. It's this process. We have to go through of recognizing uh, when I come face to face with Jesus, I need to be willing to say, I'm willing to see everything else in light of this encounter. Yeah, the things that I thought I knew, if they're not in line with what Jesus is, I don't change Jesus in this cognitive dissonance. I don't change Jesus to match that. I change what I knew to match who, who Jesus is. And if we have that perspective, we, uh, we grow from glory to glory. Our eyes become opened to who he is. Paul's great prayer to eyes your heart to be open to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth the love of God is this progressive things of us becoming more and more seeing but parallel to that guys there's a world that becomes more and more blind that willfully hardens its heart against who God is like Pharaoh who hardened his heart against the Jews it's just this willful in spite of evidence thing going on where the enemy is at work as you see people who are blind guys pray for them yeah pray for courage for one another share your stories I just want to call you to be vocal, to not be silent, yeah? Like I said, there's millions of confidently incorrect people. We can't be the people who have the truth and keep it to ourselves. In simple ways that God would enable you to share. And to do that even in the space of potential rejection or insults or persecution. To not be people who would deny Jesus, but who readily give him praise. And the way, the way that I think we do that, I mentioned already, is via immense gratitude. It's the way the gospel works in our lives. It's not what we do, it's what has been done for us. What's been done for us affects now what we do. I want to call you to some discipline of, of 
of sharing your story. I want to call you to gratitude the day after day, remembering the mercies and the grace and the goodness of God. A while back, Bridget had a word for me in text and she said, Look, I feel Rob, that you're meant to remember your story. Remember that, you meant to remember what happened that. And, uh, and just going back to that story again, remembering like what, what God has done. It's like the faith, the, 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 the thing that you can't take away. Do you know what I mean? Like, like people can tell you whatever they want, but I know I encountered God in this space that leads to a boldness, that leads to a gratitude, been able to speak it to, uh, to other people. Can I encourage you even um, to write down your story? I remember one time Lorraine wrote down your story and they sent it to me. I was amazed. Like just, the, like just seeing the hand of God like weaving through and like how, how he had encountered him. Like just a powerful thing in writing, in writing it down. But I, like this week, because I give you a challenge, a practical application, just take a pen and paper and write down the things. Yeah? Write down one aspect of it, it will take too long. Many of us probably write a book, yeah? Because mercies are new every morning, the things that he's done. If you're brand new and he's done one thing, just write it down. Just like write down what he has to have, to have it there as a practice of remembering the awesomeness. Some people are fooling to think that I don't have a story because I'm not a John Riley who went from some madness into, into, into like a, a, visible, a visible difference. But believe me, believe me, the things that you've gone through, the things that you stand for, like the things that you could speak to people who are going through the same things right now, because like this stuff is common across the board. It's the stuff that matters. It's the stuff that matters in people's lives day to day. The bit of hope you found, there's one bit of hope that matters. And I encourage you just to like write it down. Um, and as you do, I'm convinced you'll come to a place of, of gratitude in the Lord. If you want to share that with, 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 with others, I'd love to read them. If you want to share it with me, that would be awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, do that. Come to, come to his table. And, um, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, It's remembering what he's done. Remembering what he's done. We remember that point of him going to the cross. We remember his blood poured out for us. Remember the grace that he offers remember the new covenant that we're in all of these things that are awesome but as we do we also remember the application of that in our lives day after day how he's kept you how he's protected you how he's given you peace of mind how he's healed you how he's provided for you all of those things that we get to come with hearts of gratitude and just in these moments these next few moments as we wrap up to leave here having having not just talked about it but remembered yeah not just talked about it but dwelt on